Welcome to another edition of Baseball and Beyond, presented by Masses Restaurants, five locations in St. Louis. Check them out at massesstl.com. I'll be talking about my title sponsor a lot during our program today. It's Baseball and Beyond. I named that show Baseball and Beyond because yeah, I love baseball. I like talking to baseball guys, but I want to go beyond every once in a while. Sometimes there will be somebody who I uh, see as a podcast or a different walk of life, and I'm like, Man, I would love to talk to them about that. Today, Brother Love from the WWF. Back in the day, when I was a kid, I watched the WWF religiously. I kind of still do watch the 80s WWF religiously. I don't watch it now, the WWE, but I went back to YouTube, and you can find everything from 1987, 88, 89, my wheelhouse, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man Randy Savage, all those great times as a kid growing up, and Brother Love showed up as an interviewer, and uh, man, he was just hated, but uh, he did a little interview segment, and his name is Bruce Pritchard, and now Bruce has a podcast called Something to Wrestle With, and I'm going to welcome Bruce to the podcast. Hello, Bruce. Well, hello, Brad. And uh, it's Bruce, but uh, everyone knows you as, as Brother Love. I mean, this is uh, this is exciting for me as a kid growing up. I'm looking at Brother Love right there. You don't have the red face, but well, I'm thinking. You know what, man? I'm th- I'm thinking about changing my name to Puffy Diddy or Puffy Love or, or or Brother Diddy, something like that. I heard about this now. P Diddy evidently changing his name, but I just looked four four minutes ago. He put out an apology video. Did you see that? He did. He's already back down. So you are the original brother love. Can we get a little brother? Do you do a little brother I'm love? The original. I am the original. I am the only one. Um, and by God, that's just the way it's going to be. Can we get a little brother love? Maybe I love no, you. No, brother love's dead. No. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. Um, this is, a, like I said, a big thrill. I grew up watching you, and I was just a huge fan of the wrestling in the 80s. And uh, you now do a podcast uh, called Something to Wrestle With. I found this thing, and uh, I love podcasts. Obviously, I do one myself, but I'm always looking for other ones to listen to. This one I have binged listened to. So sometimes you guys will go two hours, three hours on just a specific topic, like Mega Powers. You did a whole thing on Macho Man and Hulk and how the feud was built up, or you'll do something with um, with Bret Hart's uh, Montreal Screwjob, which I'll talk about here in a little bit. But you were with the WWF from uh, basically 87 to to 2008, uh, with a couple stints not there, but um, tell me a little bit about your podcast and how much fun you're having. Uh, Conrad does a great job setting you up and researching. Uh, but th- this is, like I said, if you're a wrestling fan of the 80s, 90s, even today, there's so much good stuff in there. Well, you know, we, we did this thing, and it was something I had to be talked into doing. Um, Conrad and I are friends and, and work in the mortgage business together. He owns a mortgage uh, business, and I, I'm in it. You can go over to SaveWithBruce.com, and we can help save you some money on your mortgage. But we would be at his house, and we would start talking about different things and uh, hang out like a couple of uh, old women and just watch TV, watch our favorite shows. We would start talking about wrestling and different things. When he brought up, you know, hey, that this would be a podcast, some of the stories you tell. I said, well, you can chalk that up to something that's never going to happen. Uh, from there, he kept on me and kept on me, and eventually I gave in and said I'd do it, but I didn't want to do the traditional podcast 
where you interview a guest and um, have to track down 52 people a year for to make your show. And he said, no, 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 you'll just tell old stories. And we started picking topics. Since then, we've grown where we allow our audience to choose the topics. We give them four topics to choose from. They can go to facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle, and they can participate in a poll to choose the topics for the next show. And that's what we do. So our audience dictates what we talk about, and they can ask us questions on Facebook, on Twitter, and we kind of respond directly to them. There's times like right now where we are uh, we're picking some anniversaries because there's some huge anniversaries coming up, and we're going to pick them. And th- this week we're going to talk about Bret Hart and um, Survivor Series anniversaries coming up, the 30-year anniversary of that. So it's uh, we try to listen to our audience, but we essentially, they told us don't go over an hour. They said it's uh, guest-driven. Uh, told us don't plug your stuff up top. Uh, every rule that they don't cuss, uh, every rule that they gave us, we essentially broke. Yeah, I love it. And like since it, yeah. since then, we've been we've been breaking rules and we've been breaking uh, numbers too, download numbers. So um, that's pretty good. Yeah, and it's so detail oriented. It's just it's just great how, like I said, you pick a topic and literally go day by day. Um, so we'll get more into your podcast and some of your favorite episodes, but, uh, you know, I have my own questions too. So this is great. Cause now I get to, I've listened to almost as much as I possibly could. And I'm like, well, here's something I want to know, but let me just for our audience here that might, this is a baseball and beyond is the name of the podcast. So we're going beyond obviously. Um, tell everybody just a little bit about your background, how you end up in the WWF in 1987, and then how you kind of uh, force your way in to become Brother Love, and then uh, basically you're uh, Vince McMahon's right-hand man for a good 20 years over there. All I've ever wanted to do was be in the wrestling business since I was four years old, and we started out um, loving the business, watching the business, and, and loving wrestling. When I was 10 years old, I had the ability to sell posters at the local wrestling events here in Houston, Texas for the promoter, Paul Bosch. And I did that for many years. My brother, Tom, uh, also always wanted to be in wrestling. He took pictures and he did every, we, we both were those two kids that were around that did any and everything that it took to be around the business. We were willing to participate and we were willing to do the things that other guys didn't want to do. Well, you didn't, Kids didn't want to clean up. We would clean up. Uh, people didn't want to set up the ring. We'd set up the ring. And when you do the things nobody else wants to do, you also get to do the things that you want to do. So we, we busted our ass, and, and I was uh, the assistant director of the TV show when I was 12. When I was 14, I was ring announcing. 16, I was refereeing. And 18, I was running the place. And when I was 24, I made the call to New York and to Vince McMahon, and we talked and uh the rest as they say is history and when i when i started there i didn't even have a job i didn't have a um um job description let's put it that way it was come on in find a place and and see where your talents fit the best and we'll go from there and i ended up in the television end so how do you force your way into a brother love character? I've, I know you've told the story where you just kind of barge in a meeting, but what, where was the behind the scenes stuff for you? Were you thinking, man, I would like to be on TV. I'd like to be a character. 
um, let me show Vince what I can do because it's pretty much that's what you did. You, you run in and you do this televangelist character in a meeting and Vince is like, let's do it. Yeah, and it was, uh, you know, it was an accumulation of, of things where I always did this character, the Southern evangelist and, you know, brothers and sisters and hallelujah. And, and I would break into this Southern evangelist character, if you will, um, all the time on the road. So it wasn't new to Vince, but what was new to him was a twist I put on it. And I said, Hey, uh, we need to do this. And, and I could basically, we don't have a Piper's pit type segment right now. What if I filled that void? Um, and it's a heel and he loved the idea. He said, find me somebody to do it. And I said, you don't need anybody. I'm, it's me. I would do it. He said, I can't do it with that damn face, pal. And I said, okay. Uh, so I showed him how I could do it and went into his office while he was in with the CFO and the head of our international touring and walked in cold, went right into my bit, laid hands upon all three of them and just turned around and walked out, never broke character and walked out and went back to my office and he called and said, all right, let's take a look at it. And, and basically we did a screen test in the studio and, and uh, went from there. You're in that, you know, like Bobby, he- I remember as a kid, I didn't really, you're supposed to hate Bobby Heenan, but I sort of, I don't know, I laughed, but man, brother love, he, he really made me angry <laughs> just as a kid. You had real heat. Well, thank you. I'm glad. <laughs> That's what you're supposed to do as a bad guy. Exactly. Uh, so Vince McMahon, you kind of, you go in there and you're, you're kind of working on the creative team and the TV and all, all these different things. Tell me a little bit about just you know Vince McMahon in the in the late '80s, early '90s, and kind of coming up with these storylines because these these storylines as a kid, Macho Man and Hulk, you know, they basically it was sort of this cycle where after WrestleMania, Hulk would uh, kind of do a movie, and then around summer he'd kind of find a, a new friend like Paul Orndorff, and then Orndorff would turn on him, and then Andre, and Andre would turn on him, and then Macho Man. So you had this sort of this running way of getting to WrestleMania, but. Uh, Tell me a little bit about how Vince planned these things out in advance and, and it, it just every time it worked. Yeah, it also makes you wonder what kind of guy Hulk Hogan is and all of his friends turn their back on him. What the hell? Well, you know, it's um, funny. It's funny. There is, a, there is, I think, a YouTube clip or somebody who explains, wait, Hulk Hogan was the bad guy in that feud. He kept trying to steal Elizabeth away. He's touching her. Macho Man's just sticking up for his woman, which I love that theory that if you could play this back and go, hey, Hulk Hogan's the bad guy there. Right, but you know he was he was just so loved, and no matter what he did, he could do no wrong. And that actual storyline in particular was meticulously laid out for a year, and that we had all these nuances that we knew, and we never really let off let anybody else really in on it, other than make sure you get this shot in in the in the match, or you make sure you get this shot at the end of the match that we could go back and tell the story later on. So it was meticulously laid out and you just kind of had to look at, you know, always joke. We don't joke. It's actually how you do it. You have to go to the ending and then you work backwards. So you go to the finish of a story and you work backwards, figuring out how to get there. And that's what storytelling is all about. And that's what we did. We would, we would know where we wanted to be. 
in March or April, and we knew how we wanted to start it, let's say in July or August, and then we figured out, okay, what do we do in all these months leading up to it to really make people want to see it when we get to March or April? And so you're around there, I'm going to kind of jump around to different eras, but the mid-late 90s, um, kind of still the same way. I know that Vince Russo comes from the magazine, he's writing, and so it's still kind of this this small group of people, but uh, TV and Monday Night Raw is every week, and so it feels like you guys have to kind of speed up these timelines, but even then, let's talk about maybe, uh, we'll just throw out a Steve Austin versus Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 14. Uh, 1998, I know, is the year. But so you know, we're coming off the Bret Hart thing, and and you got Austin's, you know, white hot and DX. When, when does the, you know, a, a, now we're talking about Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels? How how early into that? Because like I said, it's now you've got these Monday night shows where you got to figure out how to, you know, back in the 80s you didn't have to, you had superstars, but Hulk Hogan would show up maybe once every three months. Here you have Austin and, and Shawn Michaels showing up every week, so you got to really figure out how to keep these guys away from each other, but still. Uh, you know, build for that WrestleMania. So how how hard is that, and how do you kind of lay that out? Well, that one was actually fairly easy because Sean had a back issue, and Sean uh, wasn't able to work. We, we were hoping we were going to get that one last match out of him, so we wanted to make sure to keep him healthy for WrestleMania. So that part was easy. The, the temptation, uh, even if it was there, couldn't have happened. But the, the storyline in general there was more about anointing Steve Austin as is the guy, is the next big guy that we were going to go with. And we knew that that's where we wanted to get. Everything else was circumstantial. So you wanted to get to Steve Austin and you wanted to get to him being um, your main attraction. And that's what we were working towards, much more so than a Sean and Steve angle or issue. It was all about crowning Steve as the new champion going forward. So going backwards, you know, if you look at like WrestleMania 8, it looked like for all intents and purposes, it's going to be Hogan versus Flair. And they do this round the world, uh, you know, three match program where they're doing the, the shows in St. Louis and New York and different type. But then we get to January and February and, and everything changes and Sid comes along and, and now Randy Savage is going to face Flair. So just tell me a little bit about how that all changed um, because you, it's to, to the, you know, the random fan, it sounded like it was going to be Hogan Flair and it just changed. Well, I think that, that the hardcore fan, if you will, probably felt that, you know, that's what they wanted to see. And I'm not sure that Vince was sold on the Hogan Flair attraction because he, he put it out there. They, they did a test on it and, and threw it out in major markets to see if people would pay money and come out and see the Hogan Flair. But at the same time, they didn't have a lot of buildup for it either. Um, but it didn't draw. And Vince was a little gun shy about putting uh, Hogan and Flair on top in WrestleMania because the audience had been conditioned for Hulk to slay the monster, to, to go after the big bad heel. And Vince didn't feel that, that Ric Flair fit that bill as the big bad heel at that time. Tell me a little bit about just working with Vince because uh, I find him to be the most um, you know, creative. Uh, to, 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 to do this as long as he has and to literally take WrestleMania 1 and say, here, I'm going to put my whole company, my whole life is going to be on this one show. It works, and then he... 
has the Silver Dome and nine, you know ninety three thousand WrestleMania three. What? Tell me a little bit about just Vince and just his genius and. Um, just kind of being around, seeing how his mind works, because he literally was the guy making every call. He had you and Pat Patterson and other guys kind of saying, eh, we like this, we like that, but literally Vince goes, no, I love your Vince McMahon impression too, by the way, so maybe we'll get one of those. Well, you know, uh, he's he's got coconut balls, and he, he's not afraid of anything, so he's, he's willing to take chances, and he's willing to get out there, but he has a vision, and I've heard, it's funny, I've heard since I started, uh, and since Vince really started his expansion, you know, he's lost and he's not in touch with the audience. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And I've heard that since 1983. When I went there in 87, everybody told me his best years are behind him. He's, he doesn't have a clue what the hell is going on today. He's lost it. Um, all the way through you know, 22 years of being there, there was always that undercurrent of Vince doesn't have a clue what the hell he's doing. And yet he was thinking 10, 15, 20 years ahead at that time. So um, when I hear that, I just kind of chuckle to myself because if, if people had, had heard him in early 1990 talking about him having his own network and that we would have our own network one time where all it is is all of our own programming and we would just be creating program for this network and we would take our old footage and that would have a home where people could watch it anytime they wanted. He didn't know that he was describing the WWE network at the time, but he was. And when people, you know, laughed at him for going into Pontiac Silverdome and 93,000 people, he just told them, fill it. There wasn't a how do we do it or, or anything else like that. It was fill it. And I'm going to give you the attraction. Now go sell the tickets for it. Um, people thought he was nuts, but he, you know, he's crazy like a fox, and he, and he does know what the hell he's doing in that regard. And that um, he thinks it out. He's he may not have the minute details of a lot of it, but he knows where he wants to where he wants to go to, and he knows pretty much how to get there. So, like I said, you do these great impressions. Um, I think everyone saw it in the Beyond the Mat documentary where he has, uh, who's the, the, the guy who's going to puke? His name is Puke. He's, oh, he's going to, he's going to. Give me a little Vince McMahon, maybe not doing that scene, but somewhere where you, you get to do your Vince McMahon impression. I can't think of, I'm trying to think of something you did on your podcast, but I can't remember a good one. You got a good one? That uh, you, I think, you know, I, I think the, the best for anybody that's been around Vince is pronouns, pal. God damn it. Who the hell is he? <laughs> Give me names. And that was a pet peeve of his, especially when you're telling stories. Uh, the announcer would go, he just took him over, and who the hell is he? Um, and it's when you think about it, and it's funny, uh, I have a T-shirt thing, you know, over BrucePritchard.com. One of my T-shirts is Pronouns Pal. And the people that order it, it's always funny because I call them and I thank them for uh, placing an order and everything. And the ones that get the pronouns, pal, are usually teachers or students. And I'll have an English teacher who will like say, yeah, I'm always on my kids all the time, you know, pronouns. So that's one of my favorite Vince-isms. Or, God damn it, I can't be on TV if I'm dead. <laughs> um, 
Uh, Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan, probably my two favorites as a kid. Do you have any great Randy Savage story? And uh, I love the way you tell that the story about him and Hulk kind of uh, yeah, not too close, brother. But uh, maybe maybe it's just that angle that how they they made that thing work so big that WrestleMania Five is is one of the biggest of all time. Well, it was it was real. It was a it was a a story that everybody could identify with. Whether you, you're on either side of it, it was also something females could identify with. But every guy has had, felt that jealous uh, feeling, either lost a girlfriend or, or a wife or what have you. And there's also the guy that's been wrongly accused. And, and I think that there were so many different sides to that story that they they had no choice. I mean, it, it, was, it was easy to identify with and people could totally relate to um, to that story, and they wanted to see it, so it all works. And he was—he was crazy. I mean, he seemed just crazy, but great—a crazy like a fox kind of crazy. Randy Savage, yes. First name Matu, last name Man. Uh huh. Yeah, he's a, a little. <laughs> he was intense. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, Andre the Giant, any great Andre? I mean, I, I know we always hear these stories about him drinking, you know, three bottles of wine just to get you know, unloosed, but, uh, do you have a favorite travel story with, with the big man? <laughs> uh, probably the, the, the best one is when Bobby Heenan used to tell Andre being on a plane and goes to sit down in first class and he's messing with the chair and flight attendant asks him, can I get you something? He says, screwdriver. And she leaves and she's bringing everybody else their drinks. And finally she comes up to Andre and hands him a Phillips head screwdriver. And he says, what's this? And she says, well, you asked for a screwdriver. And he holds it, looks at it, and says, what would you have brought me if I asked for Bloody Mary? (laughs) And we'll get back to stories with Brother Love, a.k.a. Bruce Pritchard. It's so awesome to really talk to this guy and uh, get some stories from him. And he was uh, Vince McMahon's right-hand man for so many years. So I hope you're enjoying this. We'll... Talk about Bret Hart, the Hart Foundation, and some of those uh, moments with Stone Cold Steve Austin. He was there for all that. and uh, But, you know, I have to talk about Masses, my favorite restaurant in all of St. Louis, the title sponsor. They put up big bucks to be the title sponsor of Baseball and Beyond, so I'm going to stop down right here, talk about them just for a little bit, and then I'll get back to the interview. It's MassesSTL.com. That's the website. Five locations in St. Louis. That website will show you the menus and the locations and how to get there, and they're just delicious food. They're just great to be my sponsor, and I want you to go in, go to Masses, go to the host, the hostess, go to the bartender, your waiter, your waitress, and say, gosh darn it, Brad Strobinger sent me, my podcast friend, and I'm here for pizza and pasta and steak and a good time. It's Masses Restaurants, like I said, five locations in St. Louis. If you don't mind doing me a favor either, obviously go to Masses, but uh, always looking for new sponsors. So hit me up on Twitter. Brad Strobinger is the name. You can find me very easily just by texting or texting or typing into Google. Type the Google machine. Type in my name. Go to Facebook. Find me there. I would like to uh, get a few more sponsors on here. We love Masses being the title sponsor, but we can always take a few more and help promote your business. As we do here on Baseball and Beyond, more uh, podcasts coming up. Uh, Alan Hunter will be the next one. Alan Hunter was one of the five original MTV VJs. And he was there the day MTV launched. And he was there uh, five years along with Martha Quinn and Mark Goodman and J.J. Jackson. And 
had a chance to talk it over with Alan Hunter, so that'll be the next one I post here in a couple days, or if you're listening to this one, is an an evergreen style, as I like to tell people, that you can just go back and listen to any of these at any time. They're not time-sensitive at all. I'm just getting people to tell stories, but Alan Hunter from MTV, we talk about my favorite year in music, 1984, so that's coming up here on Baseball and Beyond. But uh, let's get back to Bruce as we're going to move into uh, some of the mid-90s stuff and uh, pretty controversial times back then. Here, uh, Here's Bruce and I with that conversation. All right, so let's move on to uh, kind of the mid-90s. This is uh, when wrestling is just probably at its peak. You've got two companies drawing big numbers, but I think everybody loved what uh, – you know, I, I was watching, I think, more WCW, or I, I can't remember how I was doing this. I was recording one and watching the other, but Bret Hart in 1997 was fascinating. Um, he obviously wanted to be a baby face, or it seemed like that, and he, he just wasn't having that happen, and then he turned, but then he does this crazy, you guys see this crazy angle where he's cheered vociferously in Canada, just booed to the hilt in uh, America, and it's just one of the greatest, I think, greatest angles ever, but like I think I've heard you guys say, it kind of was uh, it wasn't planned that way, right? Well, no, it was the, again. That's a perfect example of listening to your audience. And Brett was so damn popular in Canada. You know, it's, it's just ask Brett himself; he'll tell you he was a, a Canadian hero, and they loved him there. He, he walked on water there. He was Bret Hart. So um, in the states. The more he would talk about Canada, the more people would kind of bleh, throw him up. So I thought that was, you know, pretty cool. And they, they were they were digging his stuff, and it was just a natural, simple rivalry that uh, people dug. So I and I've always wondered this myself. This is why I'm so excited to have you on. So they they make Brett the champion um, somewhere in September, October ish, and then they pull the the big long contract that everyone knows about. He was getting like a 20-year contract and they pull it. So I was just curious. I mean, there was seemingly a little bit of uh, not knowing what was going to happen with Brett in July, August, September. What what was the uh, the reasoning for putting the championship on him when maybe this was at the Hill? I mean, if Vince knew two months away that he needed to get rid of that 20-year contract, what, why would you have him be the champion so that what happens at Survivor Series happens where you have to screw him, basically. Well, we, we didn't really know. And, and again, I think that, that that narrative gets misconstrued a lot because Vince really wanted Brett to stay. He wanted Brett to stay and be able to say, hey, Brett, will you stay for less money up front? Can we, can we do something different? At the same time, Brett was talking about an, a money offer from WCW that was more than double what he was making with us. And that was a ton of money. And Vince didn't want to be responsible and feel that he was in the way of Brett making all this money because Brett kept bringing it up. Hey, they've offered me X amount of money. They've offered me X amount of money. So Vince thought he was doing Brett a favor by letting him go. Go ahead. You know what? Don't, you know what? I'm not going to hold you to this 20 year contract. We can't afford it up front. But if you want to go and you want to uh, go make that money, I'm not going to stand in your way. Go, go do it. But he's still. I mean, he is the champion. How, is there any talk about? We were. Hope, we were. There was. Uh, I think stay, in, right? in Vince's head, he was hoping that that Brett would stay and Brett would come back and say, "No, you know what? I'll stay here. 
and this is where I want to be. You know, Brett was saying both things. Yeah. It, it's difficult. It's the most talked about angle definitely in the WWF. This this thing has happened before where uh, you know, there's what they call screw jobs, but if, if fans don't know, Brett goes into this match thinking that something else is going to happen, and then basically Vince McMahon and Sean and a few others basically say, we're taking, he has the belt and he's leaving the next day, so there's always this plan. Tell me a little bit about that that couple 48 hours, 72 hours going into that Montreal uh, show where it's him and Shawn Michaels, and it's just a great the storyline behind the storyline is great because Brett and Sean don't get along. They've, they've had fights throughout this, this feud that they're having, but this is real-life stuff actually happening while we're watching the kind of the choreographed stuff in the ring. I think it's the greatest thing that could ever happen. You know, it, it, it just worked out that way. Deep down, I think that everybody involved probably hopes that it wouldn't have happened and feeling that, that Brett would have done the right thing and that he would have you know, gone out and done business and not had the machinations that we had to go through to get to that match and, and finally have to do that. So um, it was unfortunate, but you have to do what you have to do to protect your company. And there's this great documentary that Brett Hart had a company come in. And again, I was just curious about this. So I guess Vince just trusts Brett enough because we don't see many behind-the-scenes camera crews that don't work for the WWE back behind there, but Wrestling with Shadows is this documentary that basically chronicles this Bret's Hart's 1997 year. How did that get cleared? And, you know, and basically, how does Vince say, yeah, I'll go ahead and do that, Brett? Well, it was also something that was done in conjunction with the company, and it had been in the works for a long time, long before all this Brett controversy had even started. Uh, they just fell into something. They, they just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And they, they made a story out of this controversy with the documentary. But that was something that had been endorsed by the company and something that we had done through our Canadian offices. And Carl DeMarco, who was the head of uh, the uh, Canadian promotion. So it wasn't like, okay, hey, guys, come on in. We, we don't have anything about it. It was, um, they're here. And they captured it. We were, we were hoping that uh, it wouldn't come to what it came to. It seems like going back just through your career there, but as, a, as me as a fan, I remember there was basically five-year swings where well, 1987 you guys bring in DiBiase and Rick Root and Ultimate Warrior and Demolition and Hacksaw Jim Duggan and One Man Gang, and then they kind of fade out. And in 1992 we get Razor Ramon and Tatanka, and then we get to 96, 97. Now we're building Austin and Rock. I mean, is it just sort of that's how the wrestling business was then? And, and also for you, what, do you have a favorite period uh, that you had uh, during your time there? You know, you have cycles in the business. And, and I know it's funny, Vince McMahon always hated this analogy, but it's true. Uh, the business cycles. And you kind of go through these waves of, of different scenarios and different types of talent in your audience gets tired of, of the same thing. If you feed, feed them rice every day after a while, they're going to want chocolate. Uh, <laughs> so you have to continually change and you have to continually adapt and grow or else your, your business gets gobbled up. So it just was a changing of the times and people had seen the big monsters. They had seen the, the cartoon characters, for lack of a better term, and they were looking for more athletic and a different product. 
And it's kind of gone back and forth, and, and it's evolved over time. And I, I look at today's stuff, and I know you're not there now, so I don't know if you even care to comment, but it just seems like I understand you can't have the Jake the Snake Roberts with a snake and the million-dollar man with the million-dollar belt, and everyone has this niche, Doink the Clown characters, but I felt like Steve Austin was a kick-ass, badass character. Rock was this quick-talking, funny guy character. Um, you know, Triple H was, but it just feels like now Roman Reigns is I'm Roman Reigns and John Cena is John Cena. Like the characters aren't really built or, or clearly defined maybe. And, or maybe that Steve, Steve and the rock were just so good at doing what they did. Is that, is that, am I right about that? And it's possibly why I don't watch anymore. Cause it just feels like, well, the Miz is the Miz and Chris Jericho is Chris Jericho. I mean, Jericho has character a little bit, but does it, does it make sense? I, I, it does, but you know, I think people can make the same argument. Well, Steve Austin was just Steve Austin, but he turned the volume up so that you got Stone Cold Steve Austin, and that character of who Steve Austin is—that's just who he is in real life. And John Cena, you're seeing who he is in real life. Um, the audience, I think, kind of wanted a more realistic character than a, for example, a Doink the Clown. But then at the same time, they want their undertakers. Yeah, Bray Wyatt, yeah. you know, Bray Wyatt still does something different. And it feels like you right. could get a few more niche type. I don't even know what they'd be. I always had this idea that you get a guy that's, when you had this Trump Hillary thing, you get the po- politics going and you have a, a feud of a Trump uh, supporter and a Hillary supporter. People would have loved that, right? <laughs> that was my, that was my, that's my guest booking of the day. <laughs> I, I think so. But at the same time, politics are tough. Politics are really, really tough. And while you used to have characters, your bad guys were the Russians and the Japanese and whoever that America had been at war with. But even America is so divided right now that if you were to have an ISIS character or a Taliban character, I don't know that they would be accepted, um, even to be booed. Yeah. Well, they in did this that arena like they were in the past, and they did that with Davari, I guess, in '05, and Hulk, the Hulkster took him out back then. Uh, so it was kind, right. of, kind of rough. So let me, uh, as we're wrapping up, just I, I, again, I'm a huge Vince McMahon guy. Do you do you have a, just you worked there so long with him, and and I I feel like you still have some great feelings about him, uh, even though you haven't been there in a long time. But do you have a great memory, a story, uh, things about the Vince that uh, maybe you would like people to know? You know, I, I think that the the whole thing with Vince, the, the real Vince McMahon is truly a, a good person, and, and I believe that. Um, he's a genius, bonafide genius. He's the closest thing to genius I've ever seen in my life. And that's on a, a daily basis. He doesn't just have moments of it. Um, he, he is that person. The hardest working guy I've ever been around in my life. And I think people, his exterior is one of a hard ass, extremely intimidating but, you know, he's Vince McMahon, and, and, and I guess he, he can get away with it. But he's – everything that you see on screen is him in real life. Um, at the same time, what you don't see on screen is, is a pretty kind, really good-hearted, good person and a business genius. So he's done it all. He's continuing to uh, innovate and, and create new things. And he'll be in the business till the day he dies. And he, yeah, till the day he dies. It seems like Stephanie and, and and Triple H are kind of the guys taking over. And you worked with the writing team. Just talk about how writing's different now, where 
you know, they kind of went, it seems like when they did their IPO and kind of went public, it seemed like things changed and they couldn't do the, the racy stuff anymore. Uh, you obviously don't see people bleeding. You don't see many chair shots anymore, but also they brought in a lot of Hollywood writers and, and just tell me a little bit about how it changed, uh, the way things went, uh, there, uh, in, in the early two thousands and basically to, to now right now. Well, you look at the product and you look at the amount of product that they're producing now, um, from a three-hour Raw, a two-hour SmackDown, NXT, and all the other programming that they have to produce, um, th- there's quite a bit. And the level of detail that goes into it is much more than it was before. Uh, I'm not a big fan, personally, of the multiple writers, but you know, I think if you have three or four working on it, hey, good. Uh, Fifteen, maybe a little overkill, but I'm not there, so it's kind of hard for me to to give you a, a, a good opinion uh, based on working there. But I think that that's the way the business is going, and they do a lot more than just, you know, write the TV, and they're, they're constantly going and constantly creating and producing. So it's the most unenviable task and job in, in the industry, and, uh, and they all work hard. So it's, it's just a different time. You know, in, in our day, we, we did wrestling angles. There were three of us. It was me, Vince McMahon, and Pat Patterson. So we did wrestling angles, and that's what we did. Yeah, and I, I'm not as plugged in as I as I once was, and I still kept an eye on it over the last ten years or so. But there is this feeling; it, it seems like uh, where a Batista wins the Royal Rumble as a surprise guest, and the fans just boom, and then. Daniel Bryan doesn't win and the fans go ballistic and, and they'll say, well, at the end he did get his WrestleMania win. But you see it with Roman Reigns where the, where the fans don't, they just aren't connecting. But it's partly, that's part of what, I'm just curious to how it works where you had a Hulk Hogan and people loved him. It seemed like it was just easier. Hey, Hulk's going to overcome. Now they'll try to build a guy and it just, it's either not working or they're going to throw him, you know, down your throat like a Batista back then or, or Roman Reigns but, now. I know but you- we did that. Uh, and that's, I, I, that's, you're, you're making the point exactly. We did that. We did that with Hulk. We did that with Brett. We did that with Steve. We did that with Rock. And, and now they want something else. So you're, you're going to, um, you, you give them something else. And they, I think that they still are responding to Brock. And I bet you by the time it's, it's his time, they're going to be ready for Roman Reigns all over again. And I think that I, I look at him, and he's got everything. He has all the tools, and he, he will be the guy. And he is the guy by you just listen to the uh, reaction from the audience. Whether they're booing him or cheering him, they're reacting to him. That's true. There, there is that. So you've done... 70 plus something to wrestle with. That's your podcast. Uh, and like I said, I'm a huge fan of it. Do you have, uh, I mean, it's your own podcast, so it's hard to probably pick a, a favorite. It's like children, I'm sure. But do you have one that you look back at going, well, that was fun to think back about that? Or uh, like I said, Conrad, your, your host, literally has day by day match, uh, you know, matches and how many people were there and what happened at the, you know, the tapings. Tell me a little bit about, uh, do you have a favorite one that you look back at and say, wow, that was great. My favorite one is still the the Houston wrestling one, just because it it was just more heartfelt. And it was, um, it was actually one Conrad didn't want to do lost every poll, (laughs) but it was, it was something we did at his bonus show and the audience responded. Hugely, uh, one of our most downloaded shows and they loved it. So, um, that was one for me. That was my favorite one to do. 
Yeah. I, like I said, I love it. Something to wrestle with is the podcast. Find it on iTunes. And then you also, you're you're on Twitter. You're selling t-shirts. You have Facebook. You're multimedia. Tell us anything else you're, uh, you'd like uh, people to know before uh, we wrap up here. Well, hey, man, everything. Just uh, every Friday over at somethingtowrestle.com, you can download our show. And if you like a great shirt, go on over to brucepritchard.com. Follow me on Twitter at Bruce Pritchard. The show is at Pritchard Show. My co-host, Conrad Thompson, is at Hey Hey, It's Conrad. And Facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle is where you can get a brand new feature every single day at 6 a.m. It's the Morning Deuce with Bruce Pritchard, and I spend a couple minutes uh, just come out to my office and, and get on this old video camera thing here and do two minutes on whatever the hell. The last few have been all about Diddy trying to seal the brother love name, but uh, we'll be picking a lot of different current topics, and it'll be different than the podcast is now. So you're out of the wrestling business, but not really. I mean, you're out of the WWF, you, but you're really... Every time you get out, they pull <laughs> you back in. And tell our fans from Brother Love how much you love them. I love you. <laughs> Thanks, Bruce. <laughs> love you. Fun reminiscing about wrestling from 1997 to 2008 there with Bruce Pritchard, a.k.a. Brother Love. Once again, great podcast if you're into that. Um, something to Wrestle With is what it's called. And they just literally take a topic and just run through that year. Uh, or years, and it's just fun if you love that 80s stuff or even the 90s stuff back in the day. So I really appreciate Brother Love coming on the show. I'll tell you what, we're having some fun here during uh, these winter months on Baseball and Beyond, presented by Masses Restaurants. It's time where we go beyond, you know? We do baseball a lot during the summer, and we'll get back into baseball here once uh, we flip the calendar, but uh, just having some fun talking with other people that I grew up watching and enjoying and uh, appreciate uh, these folks coming on and being part of the uh, big podcast here, Baseball and Beyond, presented by Masses Restaurants. Did I tell you about Masses Restaurants? Five locations in St. Louis. MassesSTL.com is the website. You can find the menus. You can find directions, locations, all that good stuff. Go tell them your friend, your podcast friend, Brad, sent you. And on iTunes, give me a good review. Go in there and say, wow, we love this podcast. We want more. We want to see it on the uh, charts. We want to see it uh, grow and be big and all that good stuff. I'm here just having fun interviewing people that I enjoy, and that's what I do. Hopefully you enjoy it as well. That's going to do it for today's episode. Keep listening, and I'll bring you some new stuff here coming up soon. 